The speaker's back in town and the unofficial beginning of the U.S. Senate race. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of June 3rd. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. All right, we're going to recap a a couple of latest developments with the uh, ongoing saga that is House Speaker Glenn Cassida. Um, After a almost two-week-long vacation in Europe, the Speaker is set to return to Nashville or has returned to Nashville now. Uh, and this comes after he faced a, a litany of news and, you know, a series of 19 days. Natalie, uh, give a quick recap to listeners again that may be living under a pebble. Yeah. Well, if you haven't heard, uh, House Speaker Glenn Cassida has vowed that he will resign his seat as Speaker uh, of the House of Representatives here. Uh, he says he he will not step down from his seat in the legislature in general. Uh, but that came after some news reports by both the Tennessean and News Channel 5 with Phil Williams about text messages that were sent by Cassida, that were sent by his former chief of staff, Kate Cothran, who has also since resigned <clears throat> as a result of those reports. Uh, in one case, outlining Cothran having solicited uh, sexual acts from a legislative intern and from a lobbyist, and another bragging about his cocaine use, uh, which he admitted to us was done in the legislative office building. And some of those text messages, Cassida had taken part, uh, essentially engaging in misogynistic rhetoric about women. Um, and and that culminated in a vote by the House Republican Caucus of no confidence in Cassida. That was May 20th. Um, initially, he said he was still going to take a few months to decide what to do. The next day, he then said uh, he was going to resign as speaker. And that was after several uh, folks, including the governor, said essentially uh, resign or, or face a special session. Um, we've heard lately from uh, a couple of lawmakers who have agreed that Cassida should expedite his resignation. We still don't have a solid date as of this recording, uh, as usual. Well, that could easily change in about, you know, uh, a quick uh, half an hour segment. Um, but what we do know is that there has been talk of an actual special session. Uh, last week, you talked to House Majority Leader William Lamberth, who told you what? Well, the majority leader told me that uh, his preference is that there would be a special session at the end of month, at the end of the month, um, by the end of June, that is, that uh, the legislature, that the House of Representatives would essentially just go ahead and pick its next speaker. That would avoid essentially having three speakers in the course of a year. So Cassida, then uh, Speaker Pro Tem Bill Dunn, who would sort of be the interim. And then, you know, maybe later this fall, the uh, caucus picking its new speaker nominee. Um he said it, it would just be cleaner, it would be more orderly if if the House could go ahead and, and figure out its new leader this summer. That person could decide what they're going to do with the committee system or with, um, you know, other appointments in the legislature, changing of rules, changing of culture, all that kind of stuff. Um, it would it would give that person more time to do those things than waiting until this fall. Now, that's that's William Lambert's idea. Um, we haven't heard really from uh, other members of leadership in the House about what they prefer uh, to happen. It also sounds like the William Lambert said that the governor's office has been in talks. We asked the governor's office. They have essentially given us no such indication not to call Lambert a liar. I, I doubt he would be making that up. Um, but we have, haven't seen any public acknowledgement from the governor's office that there has been a 
conversation about a special session, uh, uh, you know, coming later this uh, this summer. Uh, but we what we do know now is that there are still several candidates who are either mulling or in the speaker's race. Uh, we've heard some latest developments on on non cassida news from some of them, uh, and they uh, relate to David Byrd, the ongoing uh, embattled lawmaker who has been accused by three women back in the 1980s that he uh, or they accused now, uh, but said that back in the 1980s, he sexually assaulted them when he was their high school coach. Uh, what speaker candidates uh, have spoken uh, about that lately? Well, last week we saw both Bill Dunn and Matthew Hill weigh in on uh, the fact that they say these these women who are accusing David Byrd of sexual assault are credible. Uh, that's That stands in stark contrast to how Speaker Cassida handled these allegations. He repeatedly stood by Byrd throughout his reelection, throughout the, him to a yeah, throughout the session. Yeah. He, he made a new subcommittee for David Byrd, the Education Administration Subcommittee, gave him the chairmanship. Um, there were protesters at that meeting every week this session. Ultimately, Casta pulled him from that chairmanship uh, towards the end of session. Um, but that's that's in contrast to what you hear Bill Dunn saying. Uh, Bill Dunn's remarks were were stronger than what Matthew Hill said. I think Matthew Hill, of course, uh, during the session, uh, wouldn't comment on whether he believed the women. We had asked him that as part of a survey we did on uh, what people thought about. David Byrd and the allegations surrounding him. And and then the next day, or maybe it was even later that day, I can't remember, the governor actually came out after Dunn and Hill's remarks saying that he too found uh, Christy Rice, that's one of David Byrd's accusers who Billy had met with uh, back in March, I believe, that he too found her to be credible and that David Byrd needs to publicly address the allegations against him and, and explain for himself what's going on. Uh, that statement from the governor was really interesting, especially because there was a, uh, a, a you know, a 30-hour sit-in outside of his office, essentially from uh, a group of women that just wanted a, a statement from him uh, to acknowledge the the allegations, to acknowledge the meeting with Christy Rice. Uh, they ended up getting arrested by Capitol Police, uh, where, you know, at the time, reporters were threatened with arrest as well. Um, that came, you know, way back before all this Cassidy stuff. And now, all of a sudden, you know, the, you've got uh, the governor coming out and having a little bit of a stronger stance on the David Byrd situation. Uh, so that's led to some consternation among activists. Yeah, at least. it was strange timing for sure. You know, they uh, they essentially were were begging the governor to to come out and say they believe these women or say something, you know, condemning David Byrd. They were doing that all session. Um, and then as soon as Cassida announces he he's resigning, we get this this updated statement of sorts from the governor. Uh, and and that essentially came a matter of hours after two of the, the speaker candidates also put out similar statements. So it is peculiar timing. Um, it certainly seems, though, that the, the tide has turned in some capacity on David Byrd and yes. that there could be some movement that would lead to uh, potentially either David Byrd facing some kind of, uh, you know, ramifications in a way that he hadn't been in, in up to this point. Yeah, even Matthew Hill, who, you know, this session was saying he he supported the speaker and standing by David Byrd and he thought, you know, Cassidy's decision and that was just fine. Now he, he was telling me last week that uh, he he doesn't think expulsion or asking or the new speaker asking David Byrd to step down would be out of the question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, the tide has turned on David Byrd. It is going to be an issue for the next speaker. Um, it, it's not going away. The The activists who have pushed this throughout the session uh, are going to make it a point to continue to push this into, um, into the new speaker's tenure. Moving on, 
we want to turn to, uh, you know, what I've been discussing lately or saying lately is sort of the unofficial start of the U.S. Senate campaign in 2020. Um, of course, we already have seen one candidate get in the race, Democrat James Mackler. Uh, but there's been sort of this waiting period for Republicans uh, as, as governor, uh, former Governor Haslam weigh his, weighs his options on whether he wants to get in or not. Uh, Manny Sethi, a Nashville uh, orthopedic trauma surgeon, uh, in an interview with me last week, uh, acknowledged that he was getting in the race, uh, launched it uh, this morning uh, as of this recording. Uh, and Exclusive with Joel Ebert of yeah, Tennessean. It was, it was a quick way to uh, come out with the announcement. Uh, I, I did the interview on Friday and had to turn the story quickly. Uh, but essentially, he says he wants to focus on three things, uh, repealing and replacing Obamacare, fixing the immigration issue at the border, uh, just the on, ongoing crisis that he says has happening there, as well as uh, dealing with the opioid crisis. Uh, the the first and the third thing, the uh, health care issue and the opioid crisis, uh, Sethi is intimately familiar with the details of those. Uh, and in his discussion with me, he uh, essentially touted his ability as a, a surgeon, uh, as you know, uh, sort of his credentials to be in the U.S. Senate. At one point, he said that Donald Trump needs a uh, surgeon in the U.S. Senate to get things done. Here's a quick segment of that interview with Sethi. You know, I, um, I'm a product of the American dream in Tennessee. My parents were both immigrants from India, and uh, I came to Hillsborough, Tennessee when I was four years old. Hillsborough was a farming town with about 90% of the people who lived below the federal poverty line. People didn't have much, but they had each other. And, you know, my parents were the first doctors there and um, really grew in to be a part of the fabric of the community. And that community invested in my brother and I, and they made us who we are. And uh, without Hillsborough, Tennessee, I wouldn't be where I am. But you know, today, people across rural Tennessee and really across America face so many challenges. And I think career politicians no longer hear their voices. And that's why I wanna do this. Right now, we face so many issues with Obamacare that needs to be repealed and replaced with the immigration crisis on our southern border, with this opioid epidemic that I have traveled across Tennessee listening to people uh, talk about. That's why I wanna run, because I hear those voices, the voices that others don't hear. And I believe that the same opportunities that I had growing up, living this American dream, should be afforded to everybody. And that's why I wanna do this. So now that Sethi is in the race, uh, he becomes the first sort of top tier Republican in the race, which we don't expect to be as, uh, I would say, contested or, or high spending as the 2018 race between Phil Bredesen and, and Marsha Blackburn. Uh, but it, it still is no less a U.S. Senate race and one that people are, are going to pay attention to uh, in, in you know, the coming months. We, the next phase, though, is sort of what who else gets in, right? And we're still in this in this wait and see uh spot with Haslam. We have been waiting for months to yeah. see what former Governor Bill Haslam is going to do. He, you know, of course, had said he would consider running for the seat, um, indicated it would maybe be about six months after he left office, which was in January. So we're at that time. So conventional wisdom would be 
if, if there is a major candidate like Bill Haslam out there who can fundraise, who's got the name recognition, who is very popular according to polling, you would wait until his decision uh, to decide to run. Now, Sethi is not following that conventional wisdom. He is getting in ahead of it. He's making a gamble, perhaps, some would say, uh, to think that Bill Haslam isn't getting in the race. And 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 there may be signs that he isn't, right? That he's delayed this, this thought process. Said, oh yeah, initially he said he would decide by, I think it was March, then he pushed it back more. He still hasn't made a decision as of this recording. Yeah, these, these other candidates have essentially been held hostage, you know, waiting on which, Haslam's decision. Which is the power of politics, right? But as a first-time uh, outside candidate, Manny Sethi is making the big bet to say, you know what, whether he's in or he's out, I'm not intimidated by that. Let's move forward. And if he is right and 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 Governor Haslam does not get in the race, he has a significant leg up on other people that might get in the race because he can start fundraising right now. He can still, you know, start stumping. He can build his campaign team, which we don't know who's on it yet. Uh, and among those uh, others who who are expected to potentially jump in the race, depending on what happens with Haslam, are uh, Mark Green and Bill Haggerty. Yeah, Haggerty, of course, is sort of of the same ilk, uh, same brand as Governor Haslam. Uh, he is the U.S. ambassador to Japan, former ed- uh, ECD commissioner here in Tennessee. Um, he has a lot of obligations on uh, his plate as ambassador. So the timing of a potential run for him becomes a little bit more complicated the longer Bill Haslam's decision lingers. Um, Mark Green, I think, is a completely uh, separate wing of all of this. Um, he, he's always seemingly been one to eye the next prize, right? When he was running for uh, uh, state Senate, he uh, was always seemingly looking at Congress. When he ran for Congress, people had always thought, oh, he's going to run for Senate. So, And he's just been in Congress a few months. I he, mean, this is this is really, really early for him to be eyeing, you know, the next the next position, but we have not gotten any indication uh, from anybody aside from Sethi that they're they're in. Uh, we will, of course, stay tuned and keep you abreast of all the latest developments. But as of right now, uh, it, it appears the U.S. Senate race in 2020 is heating up. This past week, Joel had a story, an update to a story that you started on, what, a couple years ago? 2017 with Dave Boucher. Yeah. 2017, this was a Boucher and, and Ebert story that the Tennessean had, um, essentially involving, as a number of stories Joel has, involving campaign money, where it's going, how it's used, um, and whose who's hands it it's going, it's it's being traded between. Uh, this centered on uh, Senator State Senator Brian Kelsey, um, tells a little bit about the update to this and, and some background on how this this issue first got in the news. So the the update is um, the Tennessee Journal uh, reported that Brian Kelsey uh, was sort of the subject of a, an FBI inquiry related to this 2007 story or 17 story that Dave and I did uh, about potential straw donors. I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, essentially, we asked Brian Kelsey for a statement. He said, I welcome any investigation. That was the first time he actually acknowledged that there may be some kind of probe or something. Something like that. Uh, so let's go back. 2017. Uh, Dave and I did this story, and it's essentially looking at Brian Kelsey's 
2018 run for Congress, his unsuccessful run for Congress, where he used state campaign money to give money to uh, state candidates. Like, uh, uh, let's say one of them was was House Speaker Glenn Cassida, um, who would then give money the same exact amount to his federal Kelsey's federal campaign committee. Uh, that led to a lot of curious, uh, you know, moves. It, it, it's an unusual uh, maneuver because essentially you can't take the state PAC money and give it right to your federal PAC because uh, there's prohibitions on that. Um, but there is another element that involved uh, this standard, which is a Nashville restaurant um, attended by many politicos, including House Speaker Cassida, uh, that was also involving this guy named Andy Miller, who is a, a fairly uh, significant Republican donor or was at the time, uh, who was sort of one of these anti-Islamic folks. Uh, and and there's one other element to this very complex thing, uh, which was the American Conservative Union. So what would happen is the American Conservative Union would get some money and then they eventually bought some some radio ads in support of Kelsey. They ended up spending $80,000. All of this being said, there was a, a, a very unusual circle of money being traded between Andy Miller, the standard, Brian Kelsey, these candidates, uh, and the American Conservative Union. So hypothetically, if there is an FBI investigation, and we have not been able to confirm that yet, uh, that would be what it's about, this unusual, possible what they call a straw donor scheme uh, to avoid campaign finance limits, to avoid campaign finance rules that prohibit you from doing this. Uh, and we are still trying to verify the existence of said uh, investigation. But it would not be surprising. There has been a complaint filed with the Federal Election Commission back in 2017 when we did the original story. There were a lot of questions raised about it. So we will try and stay on top of that and give you the latest. The latest Tennessee investigative report from reporters Mike Riker and Anita Wadwani takes a look at how the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation is potentially hobnobbing with uh, with representatives that they have contracts with. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Mike? Sure. Uh, so we found TDEC hosts the Environmental Show of the South. It's a three-day convention, and it's underwritten by the waste and chemical industry primarily. Uh, they held it in Chattanooga last month, and uh, it's it's really about access is what it is. So the, the representatives from these companies can meet the people that regulate them and, you know, get to know them, people that write their permits and determine how much pollution they're allowed to have. Um, we found an, a few other things that were uh, concerning, raised some eyebrows. Um, the uh, These companies sponsor a golf tournament, and uh, some of them give $2,000 uh, to sponsor this state-organized uh, golf tournament that's affiliated with the uh, with the conference, and uh, the companies also donate uh, door prizes. So there's a big screen TV that they give away, and TDEC employees, the regulators, are eligible to win these prizes. 
Um, we found that uh, one state employee in particular was organizing the golf tournament, and he regulated a company like Eastman Chemical, and then Eastman would write him a check for $2,000 to sponsor this golf tournament. I, I think one of my favorite parts of the story is the public records request that you guys had, though, of, of the said email who uh, or the employee who is gathering uh, this or organizing this event essentially was doing it on his state email. You guys asked for copies of his state email, and they said what? So the official response from TDEC was that this was a private event, that the golf tournament was a private event separate from the convention, which made absolutely no sense because uh, if you look at the convention website, it says that the golf tournament's part of the convention. It's listed as one of the main events. Uh, they have the same logo, essentially, the tournament and the convention. Um, the uh, tournament's website is called Show of the South. And so, you know, they're really intertwined. And we, um, we think that the department's response is uh, inaccurate, and uh, we we think that those records should be public. And and so listeners understand, Anita actually went down to Chattanooga for this conference that just took place a couple weeks ago, uh, and you guys turned around the story pretty quickly, I guess within a week of her attending the conference. Uh, since the story has come out, you've gotten some feedback from some state legislators as well as from the governor. Uh, tell us a little bit about what kind of reaction you've gotten from officials since this story was published. Sure. So uh, state officials, both the governor's office and uh, and lawmakers have said that they want to look into this. And their concerns are usually fall along a couple lines. Uh, some are concerned about the access issue, that companies can have such close contact with these regulators. Um, I forgot to mention they, they do pub crawls. So they'll go out and have drinks with them. And it's just, it's just really intimate. Um, the other thing is this golf tournament and this employee that's taking these sponsors sponsorships and uh, to what extent he's using his official title to solicit this money. Um, he does not report to TDEC how much money he raises from these companies. So it's just a really strange relationship there. And so some lawmakers want to look into that specifically. Do you know where that money is going? Uh, apparently, it goes to pay for um, the green fees and also uh, the a giveaway. So they buy golf balls for the players, and uh, this this employee says he uses it for some administrative costs. So to uh, put up their website and to pay for a bank account every year, he says he does not take a salary. So. That's his line. The governor has also responded uh, to your reporting. What's What did he say uh, last week? Uh, it was pretty simple. They, they said that they have questions and, and concerns about this, and, and they want to look into it. So uh, from here, essentially, it sounds like there may be some kind of state-level oversight or at least legislative oversight of this, as often occurs after some of our reporting. Mike, how did you guys find out uh, initially about this? Sure. We, we got an anonymous tip. Somebody said, hey, this, this just doesn't look right. And, you know, can you guys dig into it? And, and we found that it, uh, you know, there, there are some real issues here. I should add that TDEC uh, no longer is going to have an employee organize a golf tournament. And, um, and, and this, this particular employee can't use his state email address for these sorts of uh, org organizing and sponsorships. That, that is one reform that has happened so far. 
Well, it, it seems like you have gotten some kind of response from this. So as usual, we will see what actually happens. I know that uh, Representative uh, Jay Reedy had said this was something he wanted to bring before the legislature as a result of this story uh, to see what kind of oversight or further investigation needs to take place. So I'm sure you guys will keep us updated on that. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, this week's Notebook Dump is going to be short. We've hit on most of the big stories this week. Uh, But in other news, the Council for American Islamic Relations has filed a complaint against a district attorney here in Tennessee. Uh, The district attorney is Coffee County District Attorney Craig Northcott, who is also the special prosecutor who was assigned to activist Justin Jones's case here in Nashville, uh, in which he was charged with throwing a cup of liquid onto House Speaker Glenn Cassidy this session. Uh, the liquid also allegedly striking uh, Representative Deborah Moody. Um, after questions were raised about whether the Speaker's office, specifically Kate Cothran, had potentially doctored an email to uh, allegedly frame Justin Jones for violating his bond conditions, uh, the district attorney's office in Nashville essentially took themselves off the case and requested a special prosecutor to be appointed. Uh, Craig Northcott uh, has posted on social media as recently as a few months ago uh, comments about um, Islam, Muslims uh, being violent, things like that. So, so CARE, the, the large pro-Muslim group in the United States has filed a complaint with the, um, Tennessee Supreme Court's essentially professional standards division, uh, over attorneys and, uh, we'll see what happens. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. Thanks for listening. As always, this podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, Please uh, listen to us wherever you find our podcasts on Spreaker or iTunes. Uh, Please continue to rate us uh, as usual. Thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.